Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Sam, uh, and I am kicking off uh, our new uh, sermon series. Uh, and for this series, as Aaron said, uh, it's about anticipation or anticipating uh, the coming of Christ. That's really what Advent is. If you ever heard that word, it's the anticipation or the preparation of the coming of the birth of Jesus. Uh, and anticipating can be a really funny thing or a really interesting thing. Uh, this morning I asked Jared, who is our uh, tech guy in the back with the projection slides, uh, he, and he was on his phone and he told me he was playing a game and that he was expecting to lose. And I was like, well, that's kind of silly. Like you're anticipating to lose uh, while you play this game. Kind of interesting. Um, I realize, you know, in preparing for this morning that all of us share different experiences or emotional connections to anticipation. One of my favorite things I, when I learned how to, you know, to anticipate was when I grew up playing sports. That's what really shaped a lot of my mind and how I think about anticipation. I will always remember uh, the glorious time I had in Little League Baseball, you know, fourth or fifth grade, and my team was down bottom of the six, you, you know, you only play six innings in Little League, and my team's coming back, and uh, they walk the batter in front of me to get bases loaded. Two outs, game on the line, we need to run the score, and it's my turn to step up to the plate, right? And I'm anticipating the game-winning hit, and uh, I'm just waiting. You've got to anticipate the ball leaving the pitcher's hand, coming towards the plate, and you've got to get in your stance and wind up and just crack it. So I anticipated winning, and so here the ball comes out of the hand, and lo and behold, I have this glorious moment, crack it in the left field, we score the winning run, and it's just pure joy. And that was like our first win of the season, I'm pretty sure our only win of the season. We were a bad team. But I have this beautiful moment in my mind of like, you got to anticipate a win. you got to go out there, and if you think and picture it in your mind, you can do that. Or you could be like Jared and be like, I'm going to lose. And sit there. Uh, I'm just kidding, Jared. Love and appreciate you. But anticipation's funny. It's it's odd. It does weird things to us in our different experiences. Um, and so uh, the word anticipate is also kind of changed in our culture. Uh, it's become more of an expression of how we feel. Um, it, it's usually I'm anticipating a stressful week. I got a big test coming up, or I got this work situation, or you know I'm anticipating this is going to be a great season. Christmas is coming. We're all pretty pumped up. We're all really excited um, for different things like that. Uh, but uh, the original meaning of anticipation had more to do with like action and preparation. Our English word for anticipate comes from the Latin word and like anticipare, which meant to take care of ahead of time or literally, you know, to take in possession beforehand. So we learned it. It's the best way I can describe it. It's like when you get a sense or feeling and you're going to do something about it or you're doing something about it, you know, uh, you move forward toward, you engage with uh, beforehand before it actually takes place. So we're going to learn this in this series about the importance of anticipating, anticipating a king. And so we're going to deep dive into a couple of characters around the Christmas story and why that's important. Uh, But before we do that, we're going to build a foundation this week, uh, this Sunday, on uh, anticipating and getting a uh, biblical foundation of what does it actually mean to anticipate and how do we see that expressed uh, in the Bible. Uh, So we're going to go over four biblical understandings of anticipation. So the first one is 
number one, anticipation is an expression of faith. Anticipation is about preparing and making room for what you know is yours uh, by faith. It is getting ready for what God has for you. God is going to give you a heads up, uh, and we need to respond to that. If we look in uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 11, uh, this is called uh, usually the Heroes of the Faith chapter. It's where the author references all these different characters who lived uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, these incredible stories, and it's how they lived by faith. And it shows us that anticipation is an expression of faith. It was by faith that Abel uh, brought a better offering. It was by faith that Enoch was taken from this life. It was by faith that Noah built the ark. It was by faith that Abraham left uh, you know, his land, and even though he didn't know where he was going. And all these characters didn't do it out of fear, uh, peer pressure, or self-interest, right, or self-glory. It was all because God told them something was going to happen, and God, and they responded to that invitation. Uh, that's how God operates. God invites us to join him in what he is about to do. So if we go through all those old stories throughout this chapter, we see God inviting people to come, go, build, destroy, sacrifice, worship. Like there's all these different things he invites people to enter in and to join. And so um, that's what this preparation, uh, anticipation is so powerful. This is what the author of Hebrews had to say about it uh, in chapter 11, verses 32 through 34. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Man, sign me up for any of those on that list. That sounds awesome. But in order to do any of those things, to participate in any of those things, you, they would have to have move, take hold of, engage with, before they knew if God was going to show up or not. And then we have to do the same thing if we're going to express our faith. And that's what anticipation is. It is expressing our faith. And way back when COVID hit here, um, I was going through some things I was unhappy with in my personal life, some things happening here at this church. And God told me, Sam, you need to be a bridge for this church. Between what it's going through now uh, and to the next lead pastor and to the next season of life I have for it. So I began preparing my life around leaving my job, and I had a quality job and career path in the electrical field set up. And when I told people I was leaving to go work on a church staff, they kind of looked at me like I was a little nuts. Like, why would you, do you, they're like, do you know what's happening in the electrical field? Do you know how much money you can make? Do you know how much success you could have? And I would be like, yeah, but I'm preparing to leave because that's where God told me to go. That's one of the ways I got to express my faith and be a testimony to different people. Anticipation is an expression of faith. So, number two with biblical understanding of anticipation. Anticipation will attract opposition. 
Anticipation is so powerful, the enemy will try and prevent it. Anticipation will attract that resistance. And we see this all over the Bible. Uh, Just look at any of those heroes of the faith that I mentioned before. Noah, building an ark. All his neighbors called him a fool. Like, what are you doing? You know, he was made fun of, ridiculed, all that peer pressure to stop. Uh, I think of the story of Nehemiah building, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And as they're rebuilding it, all the kind of evil neighboring people were not so happy that Jerusalem and Israel is going to become powerful again. So what'd they do? They invited Nehemiah to lunch, right, because they wanted to kill him. They wanted to distract Nehemiah. There was opposition in Nehemiah's project. They were, he's bringing about resistance. Um, and we see this ultimately in the life of Jesus. Uh, right before Jesus starts his ministry years, uh, right after he is baptized, uh, we see resist, you know, he's going to build his kingdom on earth. We see resistance in Jesus' life. We go to Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 1 and 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So right as we're anticipating something inspiring, something amazing, something incredible to happen on earth, right? You know, Jesus' kingdom was going to start being established, and yet that's right when the enemy showed up and began to tempt him. Right when resistance showed up. And I would say you can turn the clock back further on the story of Jesus at the birth of Jesus, the chaos of just trying to find a place for Jesus to be born. Uh, we see King Herod give the order to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. Like, there was a, a target on Jesus' head since day one. Man, because the enemy knew how powerful anticipation is. Remember, the enemy was around for all those incredible stories of God's people conquering kingdoms, administering justice, you know, gaining what was promised. Like, the enemy knows how powerful this was. And so since day one, he went after Jesus in different ways. Um, so if that's how the enemy works, how is that working in our lives? Where is there opposition in our life? So there's a thing called a SWAT strategy, where it's more of a SWOT strategy, because instead of an A, it's more of an O. And it's where you look at your opponent's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and tendencies. So, what are your strengths? What are things you do well? Uh, when's the last time you kind of did a strength inventory of yourself? And I'm really a kind of a nut for these things. I'm going to tell you what a nut I am right now in about 10 seconds. Uh, I'm going to tell you a whole lot about me. So, I am a high eye on the disc test. My temperament is a red. I'm the SDI, which is the strength deployment inventory. I'm also a red, but close to the hub. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Uh, my working genius is wonder and discern. I'm the strength finders. Uh, my top five are includer, belief, arranger, strategic, and woo. I test as an apostolic on the spiritual gifts. And the BuzzFeed quiz said I was Spider-Man. So, I mean, I, I mean, I just told you a lot about my inner world and how I'm wired in my strengths in about 10 seconds. I mean, it sounded like I was speaking Russian to you. Uh, I, I apologize for that. But all those are different tools or tests that really give you some insight to yourself and some of the other people around you. Maybe not so much the Spider-Man one, but 
uh, it really allows me to understand why do I do some of the things I do? What am I equipped to do well? And what are some of the things I'm really not equipped to do well? Because all those tests, uh, they also kind of really show us our weaknesses. And so what about our weaknesses? Well, nobody likes talking about your weaknesses, especially Enneagram 8s. We hate talking about those things. But the thing about those tests reveal some weaknesses, not so much in, in like an obvious way. Um, like, it, it's kind of backwards. Let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Because uh, usually human strengths usually mean weaknesses in the kingdom of God. And this is what I mean by that. I'm going to go through like just a couple of them, like the uh, strength finder ones, because they're pretty obvious. So number, includer is my top strength. So includer tells me, they say, you look at the world as a circle, and you can see people outside the circle, and you can invite them in. You can engage people who are not engaged. That's, that's a really good strength to have, right? That's helpful. You want to be able to include people. But what happens when you're always looking on the outside of your circle? Oh, well, you're not really paying attention to what's inside the circle. My second one was belief. And it's one of those, you can go through life cutting straight through everything because you know what you believe. They're like, they're rock solid to you. They will guide you to where you're going to go. And when that's built on the foundation of the truth of God, then that's really helpful. I can just cut through all the kind of the crap of life and find that. But what happens when I'm built on the foundation that's a lie from Satan? Because, oof, I start to get sideways really fast. All of a sudden, I find all these strengths. Oh, man, are they really strengths? Or are they just human strengths, but they're not really godly strengths? So there's all these weaknesses I have revealed in my life. Then where is there opportunities? Opportunities can be good or bad, right? Uh, the Packers can go on to win their division, go deep into the playoffs, and we all cheer, yay, go Paco! And then there's also, like, Tom Brady and the Bucs could win their division and go into the playoffs, and we all go boo, and, like, there's, there's these different opportunities, and it can be weird, it can be good or bad, and this exact same opportunity. You can have an opportunity to serve uh, your spouse, to love on your spouse, and in that exact same opportunity, you have a chance to get maybe back at your spouse, for something. Maybe you have a chance to really hurt your spouse. And all of a sudden, in the exact same opportunity, it could be good or bad depending on how you look at it, what you want to do with it. So there's opportunities in the different rhythms and the different uh, tasks and things you do with your life. And then what about tendencies? What tendencies do you have in your life? Uh, And tendencies are like almost like preset things you're going to do uh, kind of like on the radio, you just hit those with preset buttons, and it's like, oh, I know what radio station I want to click on. It's the exact same thing you have in your life. So are you going to wake up after one alarm? Is that like your tendency? One alarm, ding, I'm up, let's roll. Maybe it's like 15 alarms. You're just sitting there hitting hit it. You have different tendencies in your life. We have the exact same thing in other aspects of our life. Um, so we have tendencies in how we follow Jesus. I know... Uh, North American church in general, and especially in my life, we just have tendencies to pray when it's almost convenient, when we're going through hard times, when we're going through stuff. That's when we'll pray. That's my tendency, at least. I don't know about you. Um, Data shows really interesting tendencies in the North American church. Right now, the average Christian church-going American, uh, data tells us they have a tendency to go to church three out of eight weeks. And I'm not saying you have to be in church every Sunday. That's, I will be the last person to tell you. Sometimes you go to church for the wrong reasons. You should stay away from church. But when you look at tendencies and data and things, it tells us really interesting stuff about how we follow Jesus. 
So it asked, kind of asks the question, man, what are some of the tendencies I have in my life? And they may be healthy tendencies, right? Some people start their day in the Word and they just get that peace of Christ in their life. And that's their first priority to have. And that's an amazing, you want that kind of tendency. But we also have some non-healthy tendency. So the enemy knows all the stuff about you. He knows all the stuff about me. He knows this. Um, he knows where. He knows when. Uh, he knows what lie to throw at you, where, at what time, all those things. And most of you guys are really intuitive. You can tell me what time during the week, or maybe even specifically during the day, when that moment is. I asked uh, this exact same thing to the teenagers I work with at Empower Youth, and all of them takes a second and they can tell you, oh, during the week, during this time, or this, yeah, that's, that's usually when this happens. So I know that's what happened in your life too. I found this quote by Ricardo Sanchez very helpful. He says, the devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but calls you by your name. For some of us, we just hear our sin all the time. Maybe have forgotten what it's like to be called by our name. And maybe this has been in our lives for so long that you just, it's just normalized. Like, I'm just, a, I'm just a self-critical person. I'm an Enneagram one. I have this, crit- and, and that's, but that's not how the voice of God works. If this voice uh, cuts you at your knees, steals your joy, if it tells you you're worthless, um, keeps your mind distracted and all the negative, then that's, that's not God's voice. That's, a, that's not his voice. But we've normalized it. Because of the blood of Christ, though, we are beloved. We are precious. We are valued. And then I, I, in those moments of opposition, temptation, like that moment during the week when, when and where and what lie you're most vulnerable with, Jesus combated those moments by quoting the Bible, different verses. And really what he was doing is he was reminding himself and the devil of what God's word is true, what he says. And sometimes I think we need to start practicing likewise. Of That's how we're going to combat those opportunities and those some tendencies and things like that. And it's really weird in my life. I can identify those different times during the week. Um, and it really varies depending on if I'm giving a message on Sunday night or even a message on a Sunday morning. I remember the first message I gave in front of a very large group uh, when we partnered with Rush, uh, the Crossroads Youth Group, and it was on this retreat, and there's going to be like 300 students and leaders there, and I was going to give one of these talks, and like during that week, uh, just the most stressful week at my job, there's all these big inspections that uh, the job I was leading had to pass. My car broke. I almost didn't make it onto the van that was supposed to head to the uh, the, the retreat. There was all this resistance heading up to that. And that was, that, that was a pretty extreme like week of, man, there was just something did not want me to give a message that weekend. But now it's not as obvious. It's a lot more subtle in my life. I'll find myself on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning just stressed out with things that are not even related to you know, this message or the sermon on stuff. And I'll just want to watch TV, scroll through nothing on my phone, and just be checked out. And I just lose so much anticipation and alignment with the Spirit. And I'm like, wait a second, it's not what's supposed to be happening here. Why am I so drawn at certain times to things 
to really uh, bring, that's really the opposition in my life. It's a lot more subtle. It's not really obvious in my face. Usually it comes at twisted and different things like that. Um, I mean, sometimes, um, I'm not going to say every small inconvenient thing that happens in your life is from the devil. He's trying to get you. But he's strategic. He's smart. He's twisted. And he'll throw lies at me. But I have some good news this morning for us. And that is uh, number three, that God restores anticipation. So when anticipation has been lost, God's plan is to restore it. We see this in the character of God and that he wants to restore, he wants to redeem what's been broken, what's been lost. Uh, We see this in the covenant he made with Abraham and throughout all those different heroes of the faith. God is always restoring these different broken people throughout the Bible. And I think one of the most beautiful pictures of God restoring someone's anticipation is found in the book of Kings, uh, chapter 19. Uh, And this is a story about the prophet Elijah. See, Elijah's on the run for his life. He's got a lot of people trying to kill him. And he's exhausted. He's had enough. He actually tells God that he wants to be dead. And he's so exhausted and he falls asleep. Uh, And this is, we'll we'll pick up the story, uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So we see that God sends an angel. He restores Elijah of his energy of his strength. He gives, he, uh, God supplies Elijah's physical needs. And, you know, he leads him to this safe place. Uh, and he asks Elijah a question, right? Notice how God calls Elijah by his name. And what are you doing here, Elijah? He's so gentle. He's so patient. He's so kind with him. And the next couple of verses uh, kind of go with Elijah just tells God how broken he is how lonely, how defeated he is. And he tells God, there's no one else following you, Lord, except me. And not only is no one else following you, all those people out there want to kill me. He, Elijah has lost his anticipation. He's tired. He is burnt out. He's isolated. He is alone. And God displays his power. And he speaks to Elijah in a whisper. And God reveals the call on Elisha's life. And that God reveals that there's thousands of people still in Israel still obeying and following God. God restores Elijah's anticipation. We see this all the time, but ultimately we see this in the overall picture of God's plan for us. This plan to redeem the world through his son, Jesus Christ. We serve a God who restores the broken and the tired. There's no defeatism. There's no shame in God's plan for us. I really look at the worst season of my life came right after high school. All my friends, uh, most of them all went into college and different, um, you know, directions in life. Uh, I went into working full-time 
And I found myself exhausted, little to no community around me, some massive anger issues going on, uh, a porn addiction, and little direction moving forward in life. I would come home after working all day and just lay on the, my parents' living room floor cause, and not wanting to do a single thing. But God was gentle with me. He led me into a healthy community. He revealed all the sin and brokenness in my life. He started giving me some forward motion, some forward ways I could go. And God, you know, he didn't, he didn't leave me there. And now, years later, after following him, I'm on a church staff, and I get the privilege of sharing with you the goodness of God and what he has. And maybe you this morning, you're also tired and you just work all day and you want to come and lay on your living room floor because you got nothing left. Last week I talked about the 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. Um, and I think a lot of you resonated with that, how we're just burnt out. We're tired. I saw a Facebook post by a friend of mine. Uh, she said her burnout has burnout. It's getting so bad out there. Whew, it's really hard to anticipate when we got feel like we got nothing to give. But again, we, we serve a God whose plan is to restore, redeem the broken. And he restores anticipated, he restored anticipation in Elijah. He restored anticipation in me. And I know he can restore anticipation in you. And then this leads to number four. Anticipation leads to breakthrough. So anticipation to, you know, to a position for God's purpose, anticipation is about alignment. Anticipation is what allows a teenager, a teenage boy, David, to run at the giant Goliath, right? Anticipation is what allows Daniel to walk out of a lion's den. Anticipation is what allows a wild man wearing camel's hair to testify of the coming king. A Anticipation lets the blind man see and the lame to walk. Anticipation is what allowed Jesus to carry the weight of the cross. It's right after the Last Supper. Jesus knows the time is near. He goes out to the Mount of Olives to pray. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 42 and 44 Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus is anticipating what he's going to have to suffer at the cross. So before Jesus was betrayed before all of his closest companions abandoned him, before he was beaten, slapped, um, flogged, and nailed to that cross, Jesus went and took hold of it. This allows Jesus to align with the will of the Father and bring redemption to mankind. Jesus anticipated. And then that brings us to us in this moment. What are we anticipating in our lives? 
What are you anticipating in your life? What does that invitation look like? And maybe God wants to bring some anticipation uh, for healing in your marriage. Maybe God just wants to restore you in your soul and that you just need to go spend time in his word. I don't know what it is, but I know that God invites us to participate with him. So what have we been talking to God about? I love this beautiful picture that Dallas Willard paints uh, when he's talking about prayer. He says that prayer is talking with God about what we're thinking and doing together. It's co-laboring with God to accomplish the good purpose of his kingdom. I love that image. What are we co-laboring with God about? What is he inviting you into? And so as we get into this anticipation series, that's going to be the big question that you'll have to kind of answer and wrestle through. That's what is God restoring in me and what is he inviting me to engage with? For my family right now, we're actually anticipating a baby coming this April. And, you know, that brings some anticipation, right? You got to, what's the plan if once Amber goes into labor and we got to get a crib and baby clothes and all that kind of stuff, right? A baby, you can't just wait, you know, once, you know, you find out your the baby's coming that just, you know, wait nine months and then it's just here and you do nothing about it. You actually have to prepare. You have to anticipate this thing that's going to come in and change your family. And over 2,000 years ago, another family was anticipating a baby coming in to their world. Actually, all of Israel was supposed to be anticipating this baby. Um, And there were so many prophecies. And and if you were a Jew, you knew to be on the watch for this Savior that was to be born. Yet, almost everyone missed it. Why? They were so distracted by all the wrong things. So, I mean, I just wrestle with, would I have been ready? Would we have been ready if we knew that Jesus was being born? You know, it's always easy when you have that 50-50 perspective. But man, we live in now. What is Jesus inviting us into now? How are we aligning ourselves? What are we preparing for? What are we taking hold of by faith? In our lives, in our faith, and as a church. So, next week, we're going to look at that family and how anticipation uh, prepared their world, uh, you know, for the coming king. So, looking forward to that next week, Pastor John. In fact, uh, Pastor John, I want you kind of come on up uh, and share with us a little bit about uh, what's this happening around our church and the different things we can celebrate uh, and look forward to uh, coming in the future.